I want to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles once again to Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. We will begin our study this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you're making your way to this passage, I wanted to take a moment to share some information that I was uh, recently made aware of, some information I received. Generally speaking, uh, our church, Temple Baptist Church of Rogers, has a reputation for being a generous church. Um, I know this because I spent many years uh, on the road raising mo money to, to serve overseas as a missionary, and, and we've had a lot of, of other people that have come in here to our church. You know, I never have to worry about whether it will be worth the time of a missionary to come or it, whether or not it will be worth the time for a departmental worker to come and to share about their ministry here at our church because I know that you are a generous group of people. I know you're going to respond generously. But if that's the case, why are we spending these weeks talking about generosity? If this isn't an issue for us, then, then why, why are we talking about it? Well, uh, as I was planning for this sermon series back last fall, um, I gave the sermon series overview to Brother Ron Simpson so that he could begin writing our community group studies that coordinated with the, the sermons. Um, It became very obvious to him that we were going to be focusing on generosity uh, for a few weeks at the beginning of this series. And so um, being the chairperson of the finance committee as well as the church tre treasurer, he approached me later and asked if I would be interested in some general statistics regarding the level of giving of our members and those who attend regularly. Now, I wanna hasten to say a couple things about this. First, no personal giving information was ever given to me. I don't want to know that. I, I will never ask that of you personally or of our treasurer or our finance team. No, no information was given to me. Um, and the other thing is, is that some of the information that was given is speculation because we don't we don't ask for copies of your 1040s you know um, we don't we don't know how much you make and so some of this obviously is speculation but the statistics that he gave me were quite revealing here's his analysis you see what brother ron did is he identified the scale of giving according to families rather than individuals and so like in the situation with my family, um, you know, Joanna and I are the only ones home and so whatever comes from us goes together. And, but now Carly's off on her own, so she's her own family now, even though, um, you know, I still count her as part of my family, just to clarify. But um, so it's, he counted them as a unique family. Also, the families included our church members as well as regular attenders. Um, and so he came up with four categories uh, to give, give us a snapshot of giving. 
uh, in our church. Those who appear to give a 10% tithe or more, again, we don't know for sure, but it seems like, oh, this is probably 10% or more of their income. Those who give on a regular basis, those who give occasionally, and then those for whom there is no evidence they ever give. Now, I want to stop and hasten real quick. What do you mean evidence, Brother Wade? Well, when I give, I give online. When you give, you may give online. You may give with a check. You may do something different. You can put an cash in an envelope and, and you know turn it in that way. There is some cash that comes in every week, and we have no idea who that comes from. Okay? So I'm not trying to say that these people in this last category never give, but there's no evidence that they ever give. So, what does this snapshot look like? Well, 31% of our members or irregular attenders appear to give 10% or more. 22.5% give on a regular basis. 16.5% give occasionally. And 30%, there's no evidence that they give at all. Our church has gone through some ups and downs financially over the past several years. But honestly, this past year, it, it seemed like things were going very well. I mean, even at our annual business meeting this past year, we had our budgeted amount, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Ron, but we were $32,000 over budget for the year. Praise the Lord. Because that had never happened in my tenure at this church, you know? I was like, what am I doing wrong, Lord? Um, things have seemed like they've been going quite well over this last year. But folks, imagine what things might be like if we would all be obedient to the Lord in the area of generosity. As we continue this section of our series on the topic of generosity today, we're going to look again at how generosity is a display of God's grace. And then we're also going to look at some of the logistics for the collection of this offering to learn how we too should be able or should be handling the Lord's money. So again, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 16 and then go into the first five verses of chapter 9. As always, the YouVersion interactive notes are available in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to look there. Or the words are on the screen from our text. Verse 16, the Bible says, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has 
been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, uh, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Well, as I said earlier, I want to start this morning by looking at how generosity is an act of grace. It is the grace of God. And we see this again in verse 19. If you want to read that again with me, it says uh, that he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of God himself and to show our good will. So Paul reiterates that their giving is an act of grace. In chapter 8, verse 1, Paul refers to the giving of the Macedonians as the grace of God. In verse 6, he refers to it at this gift as the act of grace. And in verse 7, he encourages the Corinthians uh, to excel in this act of grace, just as they had excelled in faith and in speech and knowledge and in earnestness or diligence, which we find that word earnest uh, in our text this morning. It means to be diligent. Uh, and then it also says, and in love. So he's saying you exceed in all of these things. You excel in all of these areas. You need to also excel in this act of grace. And then in chapter 8, verse 9, as we looked at the, the paragon of generosity or the perfect example of generosity last week, we see that Jesus is that perfect example of the grace of God. And so, once again, we're reminded giving is an act of grace. God's gracious and generous gift of salvation 
should be our motivating factor for us to be generous to others also. The human heart is deceitful. It is cunning. It is full of greed. If you take a moment and read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, listen to how Paul describes the heart of men in these last days. Verse 1 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, with our self-control, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How well does that describe our society today? I mean, it is. That's who we are. We are lovers of self. We are lovers of money. We are lovers of pleasure. And all those other bad things that come along with it are listed there as well. You see, folks, without the transformative work of God in our lives, we can never truly be generous. Later in that same chapter, verse 16, a verse that you probably know very well, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is only through the ministry of the word in our hearts, experiencing that grace of God for ourselves, that we experience this transformation. When he reproves us, when he rebukes us, when he corrects us, when he trains us in the way we should live, that ministry of the word transforms us and that's what enables us to be generous. Because left to ourselves, we are lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. That's who we are. It's called sin. And we are totally depraved. You see, an attitude of generosity is the natural consequence of a life submitted to the power of God's word. For God's word teaches us, reproves us, corrects us, and trains us so that we can be complete for every work equipped to do what he wants us to do. God demonstrates his grace to us in this free gift of eternal life. Therefore, as we accept that free gift of eternal life, we must reciprocate, not to God, he doesn't need our grace, but we reciprocate to others in giving that grace those acts of grace to others. Now the next thing I notice in this text is who Paul is sending to Corinth to help facilitate this collection process. Notice though, it's not just Titus that is being sent, but two brothers also. 
So I wonder, did, did Paul have concerns about Titus's integrity? Is that the problem? Is that the reason he's sending more on? I don't think so. You see, the simple fact is that there is to be no room for suspecting underhanded dealings or careless administration to this offering. They wanted to make sure that everything was above reproach. Any suspicion or dishonesty or blame for inefficiency would have hindered this ministry. And so he sent Titus and these other two guys. Notice the next point this morning is that generosity requires accountability. Generosity requires accountability. Verse 20, let me read that once again. It says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. He's sending Titus, he's sending these others for a purpose. He wants to make sure that no one is questioning how this is being done, how it's being administered. You see, Paul had a good plan for the collection and delivery of this offering to the, the suffering Jews in Jerusalem. But a plan is only as good as the people who are carrying out that plan. Amen? And so his plan was good, but he needed diligent, trustworthy, earnest men to carry out this plan. So he chose three men who had excellent credentials and who would stand up to any test. They were men who were respected and they were men who were trusted. We know for certain that Titus was one of these three, but the, the identity of the other two men is unknown. He, he describes them, so I think the people at Corinth knew who they were, but we don't. You know, some have suggested that these brothers could have been Luke or Timothy or Apollos, all who were men of integrity. But folks, here's the key. Their identity isn't essential. Their character was what was essential. They were earnest, diligent, faithful, trusted men of integrity. So what do we learn from this? Well, when dealing with money, every precaution should be made to avoid any perception of mishandling funds. Paul's scrupulous care in the handling of the money was wisdom on his part. He was, he was wise in making sure that it wasn't just Titus. Besides putting that, that tremendous temptation in front of him of this this huge offering that he was taking to Jerusalem, well, they wouldn't know if I skimmed a little bit, right? I mean, that's a temptation. We're all sinners. We're all lovers of money and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Paul didn't want to put that temptation in front of Titus. So he gave him another person. And you know what? Two's good. But one could convince the other to do something they shouldn't. So he gave him two other people, men of integrity, to make sure that it was handled properly. The concern here is not just for the safekeeping of the funds, 
but also for the reputation of the ones who were handling them. This is the reason that Paul wrote to his protégés, both Titus and Timothy. In his letters he wrote to them, he told them first and foremost, the first qualification listed by Paul in each letter for a person to be a leader in the church, an a, 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 a pastor, it depends on the translation, a bishop or a pastor or an overseer. The first qualification, do you know what it is? To be above reproach. Both in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. The first thing he said to be a pastor and an overseer is to be above reproach. Well, just as Paul did, we who handle money in the church should take every step, not only to be absolutely honest about our, how we handle the money, but also we need to protect our personal reputation. That's why I try to stay as far away from the money as I can. We've got to be careful. There's no need to put our good names on the line and jeopardize our reputation. For this reason, we have a certified public accountant that audits our books every year. In fact, we just realized we're doing some things that we need to change. And so now we've got to do some changes. And, you know, Ron's not excited about it. I'm not excited about it. But you know what? It's the right thing to do. And the CPA said, this needs to change. Okay, we'll do it. That's accountability. For the same reason, every time we take up an offering, we have multiple people who come together who count the offering that is given. Like I said, we have some cash that is given every week. And so they come together and they count that out together. Write down the amount. Put it where... Ron can get it, and then he double-checks that. It is accountability. We have a financial team that develops and recommends our annual budget each year to help us, give us a guide as to how we should spend the money that God has blessed us with. That's accountability. When we spend money, we require receipts to be turned in for that money. Why? It's accountability. Oh, yeah, I spent $800 on water the other day. You know, the, no, that's, <laughs> we can't do that. But the heart is deceitful, cunning, evil. Lovers of money and lovers of pleasure. We've got to build in this accountability, and that's why Paul did what he did. I think you get the picture here. It was and it still is essential to have built-in accountability when we're dealing with the Lord's money. Now, as we finish out this chapter 8 and move on into chapter 9, this whole conversation about giving gets flipped upside down on its head. Now, if you remember, throughout the entire chapter of chapter 8, Paul is boasting about the generosity of the people in Macedonia, right? He's telling the church at Corinth how 
how generous they were and how they gave out of their poverty and out of difficulties and trial. He's boasting about them to the Corinthians. Now, Paul begins describing the generosity of the Corinthian church. It says, of which he boasts to the Macedonian people, saying that Achaia, do you know what Achaia is? That's the province that the city of Corinth was in. So he said that Achaia has been ready since last year. You see, he goes on to tell them that it was their zeal, the Corinthian church zeal, that motivated the Macedonian churches to be so generous. So what can we learn from this? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I believe that generosity can be automatic. What's Paul actually saying here? In verse 24, Paul says, prove what we've been saying about you. He said, we've been telling them about who you are and how generous you are. Now prove it. Verse 1, he says, now it is superfluous for me to write. In other words, I don't need to write anything more about this. I don't need to tell you to be generous because you're going to be generous. Verse 2, he says, I know you're ready to give. I've been telling everyone about how generous you are. So don't make me out to be a liar, is essentially what Paul's saying. He said, I know you're generous. Show how generous you are. And then in verse 4, he says, you'll make me and yourselves look bad if you're not ready. So be sure and be ready to give this offering. Well, essentially... Paul is using the generosity of the church in, churches in Macedonia to encourage the church in Corinth to give. But before that, he had used the generosity of the church in Corinth to motivate the churches of Macedonia to give. Uh, Dane Ortland in his commentary said this. He said, this is a delightful, healthy game of gospel competition. He goes on, Paul elsewhere tells the Roman church to outdo one another in showing honor. Here, Paul is unveiling the Corinthian, to the Corinthians the generosity of the Macedonians. Yet, this is not to shame the Corinthians nor to motivate them out of guilt. On the contrary, he concludes, the Corinthians themselves have been integral to impelling Macedonian giving. So he's using one to motivate the other and that one to motivate the other back, essentially, is what's going on. You know what? We do this, too. We do. I don't know if you realize it, but I want you to think about real practically for a moment. We do this, too. Vacation Bible school. Don't we? The competition between the boys and the girls. Who can bring the most money and who can make it weigh the most? We have two competitions, and you know what? It works. Every year, we're spurring those kids on to raid their dad's change drawers to get that money. And, and it, it becomes a great, great fun thing. We do it too. But you know, it's not just in Bible school. 
I don't know if you realize this because most of you probably never see these, but we receive minute books. In fact, Brother Ron uh, is our local association clerk treasurer, Brother Ron Fields. Um, and so just this past week, he emailed me a copy of the minute book that we're getting ready to print for our local association. We have a minute book for the local, we have a minute book for the state association, we have a minute book for the national association. And did you know that inside those minute books, every department reports what church gives and how much they give in a year's time? So everybody in, everybody that has a copy of one of those books knows how much giving comes from this church. And I can find out how much giving comes from every other church. Well, I want to give you another example and try to follow Paul's example in this as well. I mentioned earlier today we're taking up a special offering for the BMA of Arkansas Youth Department, also known as Student Ministry Matters. This is, you know, this is a ministry that we support on a monthly basis from our regular offerings. In fact, I wanted you to know this. Are you ready? We are the number nine church on the list in the BMA of Arkansas in supporting this ministry. Out of the entire state of Arkansas. That, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Um, in fact, we would probably all feel pretty good about that. Um, but let me share a little more detail. You see, um, we are number nine on the list of supporters. But for January through September of 2020, which was the list I looked at, there were only 13 groups that supported this ministry. And not all of those were churches. So we were nine of 13. Um, that means we're just barely in quad three, for those of you who are following college basketball, you understand that term. Nine out of 13. And you know what? If we look a little bit deeper, out of those 13 groups that gave, our giving was less than 3% of the overall contributions received. That's represented by that little black piece of pie there. The average for all the other churches is represented by that white uh, piece of pie in that chart. Folks, there were churches that are smaller than we are. And I know this because I know the churches, I know the pastors, I've been to the churches. There are churches that are smaller than we are that gave double what we did. There's church that smaller than we are that gave triple what we did. And there's a church that's smaller than we are that gave quadruple what we did in that nine month period. This is a worthy ministry led by a faithful man of God and frankly, I think we can do better than this. I do. Don't you? 
You see, when Paul challenged the Corinthians to be generous in their support of the suffering Jews in Jerusalem, he knew that they would because it was in their character. Giving became an instinctive response for them. As I challenge you this morning to give to student ministry matters, I know that you will do it because it is in your character. And by the way, this ministry operates on a shoestring budget. If you want to know more about it, uh, John, you're still on the board, aren't you? John, is, are you the chairman? You got out of that. Okay. Uh, John O'Connor is on the board of trustees for the BMA of Arkansas Youth Department. He'd be happy to tell you how that they operate on less than $10,000 a year. If you can imagine or something like that. He'll give you more details because that's who he is. That's his character. Amen. All right. So be generous. Be generous. So generosity is automatic when it's in your, in your character. The last thing I want us to look at this morning is that generosity is autonomous. Generosity is autonomous. Now, why would I say their generosity was autonomous? Well, the word autonomous means that they had the freedom and choice to do what they wanted to do. No one was telling them what they had to do. They had the freedom to do what they wanted. They could give if they wanted. They didn't have to give if they wanted. This was not compulsory. They were autonomous in their giving. Now notice what Paul says in verse 5 of our text. Second Corinthians 9 verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it, might, it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I first read this, I totally got the wrong idea about this word exaction and what it meant. You know, because in my mind, um, I immediately thought of it as someone was forcing them to give. If, if they were exacting it, that they were being forced to give it. Uh, kind of like exacting a tax, having to pay a tax. But that's not the idea of the original word here. You see, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, to give a gift of an exaction refers to a gift which betrays the giver's covetousness. I'm going to say that again. To give a gift as an exaction refers to a gift which betrays the giver's covetousness. In other words, uh, the Greek word here itself means a greedy desire to have more. So if you're giving a gift out of exaction, you're giving a gift to get something back is the idea. You're giving a gift with strings attached is one way of looking at it. Or giving something in order to get something in return. But he said that's not the gift that the Corinthians were giving. It was a gift that was given willingly. And that's what's important to remember here. 
Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to give, not requiring them to give. And he was encouraging them to give generously and to give with the right attitude, which, by the way, we'll talk about more next week as we look at the rest of chapter 9. So, as we come to a close this morning, and I know it's just... 1134. Um, I have a few more things to say. So even though I said that we're coming to a close, don't shut me off yet. Okay. As we come to a close this morning, I want us to think about what we should take home with us today. Okay. Folks, God has blessed our church with a reputation for being generous. But the reality is, is that there is no evidence that a large portion of our families do not give regularly. And guys, my goal today is not to guilt anyone into anything. If you feel guilty, that's between you and the Lord. You, got, you owe me nothing because as far as I know, every single one of you are part of that 31% who ties because I don't know who is and who isn't, okay? I don't, I don't have any guilt there. I hope you don't have any guilt to me. But the goal is not to guilt you into anything. I've just simply presented you with verifiable information specific to our church. You know, I read reports from, from different groups uh, that, that do surveys and different things uh, around the country. And I'll read about how uh, so many people in churches today never give and, and all of these statistics. But, you know, it's easy for me to read those when it's referring to churches in America. Uh, because that's not my church, that's churches that's other churches, you know. But it's pretty hard to swallow when you know that this is specific to our church. Temple Baptist Church of Rogers, Arkansas. God has blessed us, yes. God has given us a reputation of being generous, yes. But the reality is, is that is not true across the board. If you never give, or if you only give occasionally, I want to challenge you to commit to putting the Lord first in your finances. What does that look like, Brother Wade? Well, the prophet Malachi talks about this. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Malachi says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the, door, open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Malachi said, bring the full tithe. What's a tithe? 10%. It's just another way of saying 10%. In the Old Testament, they said to give to the Lord the first 10% of all that you have. He said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. 
and test me in this. Put me to the test, he said, because I will open the windows of heaven and bless you until there is no more need. Notice, he did not say, I will give you everything you want. No. God never promises health and wealth and uh, prosperity. He promises to take care of our needs if we will put him first. The next line on my note says personal testimony. I'm, I'm now debating, do I share this or not? <laughs> um, as a pastor in your typical traditional Baptist church, um, they take up an offering, which we, have, we stopped doing with COVID and discovered that our offerings did not diminish when we stopped passing the plate. So now our ushers stand at the back and, and God has blessed. But um, in a typical Baptist church, the, the ushers would come forward, they'd pick up the offering plate and they'd pass them down each out. You've all seen that, I think. Um, Earlier in my, my time as serving as a pastor, I would remember that I had not written a check to put in the offering plate about 20 seconds before I called the ushers down to come and take the offering plates and pass them down the aisles. And it was so frustrating. My, my total focus was on, you know, the sermon. I, I just wouldn't remember. And so what we found ourselves doing is trying to catch up on our tithe. You remember those days? Oh my goodness. Folks, you can't catch up on a tithe. You can't. We tried, but what would end up happening is one week we would end up giving the whole check back to the church. Because it had been a while. I am so very thankful for online giving. Because you know what? It's not that I don't think about it. I know that every week I have a, a gift that comes out of my account and goes to church. I know it. I see it. And as we're, we're worshiping, I know I've done my part. I'm so thankful for online giving in that regard. Um, it helped me to be able to focus on the word and not forget to put my offering in. One thing about giving weekly, which I do, I give weekly. Um, you may not give weekly and that's okay. I suggest you give every time you get paid. Uh, so if you're paid once a month, <coughs> Which I think teachers, don't y'all get paid once a month? You know, yes, thank you, Amy. I got a, an, an affirmative there. You know, if you get paid once a month, give when you get paid. If you get paid every other week or on the 15th and the 30th, whatever, whatever. Give when you give, get paid because it says bring your full tithe into the storehouse. It's, it's talking about. Give the first fruits of your income to the Lord. Whatever you're receiving, give him the first of it. And here's what I can tell you, folks. If you are putting him first, 
And if you give him that 10% first, that 90% seems to cover everything. But if you don't do it first, there never seems to be 10% left over to give to God. I can't explain it. God says, put me to the test. Did you know that's the only place in Bible that I have found that God says to test him? He said, test me in this. See if I will not provide everything that you need if you will simply put me first. If you never give, or if you only give occasionally, I want to challenge you to commit to putting the Lord first in your finances. If you give on a regular basis, I want to challenge you to commit to putting the Lord first in your finances and give 10% of your take-home pay. Why 10%, you may ask? Isn't that an Old Testament rule? And I will answer you, yes, that is an Old Testament rule. And if you would rather give according to New Testament principles, I am all in favor of that. Because they gave 100%. I'm not asking you to give everything. But I know that God would take care of your needs if you did. You see, God wants to take care of our needs. But more than anything, he wants us to put him first in every aspect of our lives. Matthew 6, verse 21. If you were in a community group, you probably talked about this this past week. But it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice, it doesn't, the order here is very important, folks. Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. It's not that you'll put your treasure where your heart is, but when you put your treasure someplace, your heart follows. That's what it's saying. Commit your first fruits to the Lord. Commit fully to him. Finally, if you're currently giving a tithe or more, I'm just going to ask you, would you prayerfully ask God what more you should be doing? As Brother Ron and I were talking this morning, uh, you know, telling him and Pastor John, pray for me as I'm sharing these things this morning. Uh, he said, well, I want you to know. Good news. He said, We've had multiple families that have upped their giving. He said, I don't know if it's because of something you said. I said, probably not, you know. But uh, he said, but, but there have been multiple families that have, that have upped their giving this year. And then he also went on to say, and you know what? There was one that had no evidence that they had given anything before that gave a sizable offering. To that, I say, praise the Lord. Not because you're listening to me, but because you're listening to God's word. And you're listening to the Holy Spirit in you. God will bless. 
So if you are giving 10% or more, ask God, should I be doing more? What more could I give? There's so many stories I could share here of, of different people, but I think um, the story of R.G. Letourneau is one that is amazing. I'm not going to tell all of it this morning. Uh, I would encourage you to, to look it up. In fact, I put in R.G. in a Google search and Letourneau came up. So you don't even have to know how to spell Letourneau, okay? But he was a famous inventor of the 20th century. He was also famous for giving God 90% and he lived on 10%. As a young man, he said, well, if God can survive on 10%, then I will, and I'll give him the other. And God blessed him tremendously. Again, look it up. Read about R.G. Letourneau. He once said this. He said, I shovel money out, and God shovels it back. By the way, he, he invented, like, uh, bulldozers and large equipment okay so it kind of makes more sense why he put it this way he said I shovel money out and God shovels it back but God has a bigger shovel God says test me in this just wait and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need he promises to take care of us if we will just put him first father in heaven i thank you for the time today in your word and lord i just pray now that as we uh, spend these moments reflecting on what you have for us today father i just pray your spirit would burden our hearts and you would embolden us, give us the faith that we need to be able to be obedient in this area that is so very difficult. Lord, I thank you for uh, teaching me these lessons all those years ago. How important it is. And Lord, thank you uh, for the growth that I've experienced as a result. Lord, thank you for taking my heart to those things that I, where I place my treasure. And Lord, help me now to become more and more generous. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.